Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Story Show. And today on Storymakers Show, we have got a load of interesting things to talk about. First off, uh, well, we're going to start with what we're working on. We're going to also talk about scene. And actually, I wanted to bring up a point, which I forgot to tell you off camera or whatever, uh, which is that uh, we, we got a review from somebody who's uh, and not on not on any of the formal things, but a blog review. Um, so in the review, she actually really loved the show, which was great. It was really nice. Thank you for that. Thank kind. you for that review. And she had this one note of irritation, which is that she wanted us to have an apostrophe. She felt like this was the show of Storymakers by Storymakers, that it was our show, Storymakers show. So I actually put this out to the Grotto, which is my one of my work communities. The San Francisco Grotto shout out. They also have a podcast, Grotto Pod. So we'll put that in the show notes. Shout, shout out! Shout out to the Grotto Pod. We're gonna we're gonna do a cross episode with them at some point. But anyway, um, so I put it out there and I got some different responses. And some people felt, oh yes, it's possessive. And some people said, well, it could not be possessive. And uh, like like the San Francisco Writers Grotto is not actually possessive. And uh, one person had the clever observation that it was kind of a sentence, story makers show, dot, dot, dot. I mean, that it was the beginning of a sentence. It was a noun and a verb. Don't tell. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, he, and he kind of drew the parallel to um, eats, shoots, what is it, eats, shoots, and leaves, leaves, which is, you know, if not punctuated, means something different. But it's the title. Killed, it's the, the, the panda, right. panda eats, shoots, and leaves is... Yeah, so, and it's the title of a book, so we'll put that in the show notes, yes. too. Boy, we've got some juicy show notes already, two seconds in. Anyway, I've been thinking that maybe we should just say story makers and not worry about show. But we won't, we won't decide right now on the podcast, but I wanted to say that that maybe controversy... Maybe we can put together a poll, and if you're a listener and you want to bring apostrophe. in... On whether, you know, we'll put up some different options. We'll put up three different options and we'll see which wins. How possessive are we? Right. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see if that happens. If that happens, it'll be in the show notes too. Um, so that's topic one. I think we've dispensed with it for now. I thought there was going to be something deeper in that. Deeper? So, yeah. So that who but, are you know, we? I'm a, I'm a writer. The apostrophe is important. I mean, not only no, is no, it no, a poetic no. technique, apostrophizing, but, but which means I'm to make so saying something. I'm actually it's even more valuable. We will jump right over what apostrophizing is. Look it up. Uh, yes. More valuable than an apostrophe. Even. No, no, no. That the apostrophe is more valuable than just a simple possessive or not possessive but really getting into the crux of who we are and what it is we're doing with this podcast. right is it is it a show that the story makers own mm -hmm. do we own the means of but, amplification yeah i think i'm not explaining myself okay. well maybe but. not maybe it was the beer which i haven't had any of. it was I a just sound effect yeah. <laughs> uh can you say can you say more oh i just there's i'm always interested in sort of that identity level conversation and so if it is something that we conceive of as not possessed by anyone, mm. possessed by a group, possessed by a singular, possessed by, you know, I mean, these are different, right. these are fundamentally different ways of being in the world. And so I was sort of thinking about this deep. I'm like, are we an adjective or are we a noun or something? But anyway, all right. Well, I, I I'm, I probably need the beer to continue this conversation, but we have another topic. 
dun, dun, <laughs> for dun. today. Which, but we haven't oh, started with what oh, yeah. we're working on. All right, on. so the suspense will build. What are you working on? Well, I am working on, you know, hitting a deadline and getting all my ducks in a row and trying to get everything squared away for making that deadline and then realizing that deadline is probably like even still might actually just be more of an opportunity to really bring together everything I need to finish. So even finishing is iterative. Right? I feel like this is, we keep being like, you know what would be an amazing thing to talk about? Deadlines. Like, oh, we did that. We did that episode. Um, And even listening, shall I segue into mine with this? Even listening to the deadlines episode of two episodes ago, I realized that I had been uh, debating whether or not to print out the book yet because I'd been making changes on the electronic draft and trying to figure out when was the moment, right? And and that since that we recorded that podcast like maybe three weeks ago, I have printed it out twice, like torn it apart from end to end, like cashed, edited it, and entered all those changes twice, and you know, then then those spell check and it's just, I couldn't believe it. And and I didn't remember that. Like if you had said to me, I mean, I I think also just finishing crossing the deadline, I was so stunned. I, and I, and you know, and you sort of are always like asymptotically not quite hitting your goal with that kind of thing. Like there's always more you could do. And yes, I addressed all the points, but did I address them completely enough? And you know, whatever. So it just, it was actually wonderful to hear that and to realize how many iterations I had gone through. So I don't know, we can circle back to you. Is that what you're working on? So I, well, I, so I finished, I mean, I finished and I'm waiting now for for response. So I'm working on just recovering my health, my house, (laughs) uh, my, you know, um, equilibrium and, um, you know, I probably, yeah. And then, you know, I will start working on something else, but right now I'm, I'm just in recovery mode and You're actually I'm, I'm not even journaling and that makes me crazy I, so i will be journaling again but you're in recovery is what i'm hearing ha ha yes <laughs> <laughs> i'm still a writer but i'm a writer in recovery okay all right so today you know we were gonna ta- tackle scene we've talked about scene this is what i want to say about this podcast though we might talk about the same topic but i i feel like i'm not the same person when we talk about it. So we could just make a cycling list of topics and I would probably contradict myself like the second time because around. But still with insight. Characters. Characters have to be consistent and, and then changing like iteratively and over time in a way that makes sense and has a build and relates to the story. And people are just whimsical, willy nilly crazy people. Whimsical. Whimsical and unreliable. But entertaining. Yes. <laughs> So, well, also, so we're also talking about scene because I am heading towards Sonoma County Writers Camp, which starts October 10th, and I'm going to be teaching scene. And so um, I'm thinking about scene a lot, and you're going to be doing a, a talk on scene, a master class on scene, and, um, or a talk, anyway, to be decided. You'll be doing something wonderful and entertaining and yet scintillating and important about scene. And to be decided. So, well, this is this can be part of that, which is you know figuring out what we're going to talk about and what we're going to teach and what and, and and of course backing that up. Like, where are we? So, and especially as we're finishing these projects, 
and looking at scene, um, how that is, you know, how that has, what we've learned. What have we learned about scene? Well, I think it's so interesting to me because I'm always, always stuck with the pat responses. Okay, let's that we start there. Always, what are the pat responses? You know, scene is change, scene is... Which is actually so important, though. It's really important, I think. Something changes. Something happens. Absolutely. <clears throat> yes. Well, I think more than something happens, something changes. Like, mm -hmm. honestly? Yeah. I mean, changes. obviously, it's got to be a relevant change and those sorts of things. Right. And, um, but something changes. And if it doesn't change, it's not a scene. What else is pat? What are the pat responses? I mean, I'm thinking of, like, it's in action. Like, it's, it's more like real time as opposed mm -hmm. to summary, as opposed to kind of thought interior. I mean, there's, there can be certain certainly interiority in a scene. I mean, it can be mm -hmm. extremely interior or not, but, but I think of there being a kind of key element of, of exteriority, of happening in a place and a time. Yes. So that's, I don't know if that's Pat. Well, and it's specific, right? We um, sort of were talking about the difference between, you know, summer you're covering great swaths of time Mm-hmm. Seeing you're in that moment. Great so swaths of time, or in summary, you might be covering some idea or mm -hmm. some, yeah, anything. Obviously vast, because you're summarizing it, condensing something that is Hence the therefore name. larger. Yes. yes. But scene, right, scene has a, a place and a time. Yes. And um, it, you know, often I think of summary as having a relationship to exposition in a different way. Okay. Um, although certainly you can have exposition in a scene. Um, but it would almost be additional to the scene, right? I mean, well, what will define exposition? Okay, here we are, rabbit hole. <laughs> exposition is the information the author thinks you need as a reader <laughs> <laughs> to understand the story. Okay. So it's a little, it's explanatory. Mm -hmm. It's the piece where you're coming in and, and like larding in a little explanation. Yes. No, that, and that verb has no judgment. Larding. No judgment. Um, yeah. And actually, I think I went to a place of extreme, uh, like sort of um, restriction on exposition. And then I've kind of come back. And also on emotion and kind of just... And I think that there's a reason, and that it is this, because when you first were talking about exposition and that the, you know, that the author thinks the reader needs, right? Mm -hmm. And the truth is that as uh, consumers of story, and consumers is the wrong sort of capitalist Not really. word, but what's another word? Because like, I want it more in the sense of, of like eating than of like uh, being a capitalist um, pawn. But anyway, as consumers of story, um, we have become faster we, we we understand jump i don't want to say more sophisticated because i don't think that's actually true but we but you can make you can assume your reader can make certain jumps mm -hmm. um in time without kind of any floor, floral she walked to the door opened it and stepped out <laughs> we don't need that right she walked to the door 20 years later right? we don't even need 20 years later necessarily right if you depending so anyway so there's sort of the way that the that we can assume a, a certain uh, versatility and a certain kind of speediness on the part of the the reader and at the same time because we have so much story available to us through uh, media through mm. through visual and audio media reading is a place where kind of 
exposition can happen in a, in a more graceful way than it can, I'd say, through like voiceover or something in film. And so I think there's now kind of a new opportunity to do brilliant kinds of exposition um, on the page that you, to sort of differentiate what you can do on the page from what you can do in a brilliant television show. So bringing it back to scene. Yes. So, um, so I agree with you that exposition can be woven into scene. Okay. And maybe, and, and, you know, and maybe is, and especially in, on the page, in a written, in a written mm. narrative. So in film, for example, I had to talk about exposition in film. Because film is so visual, so much of the exposition is visual. So... Uh, in the same way that in fiction you or or in prose you have the um... you can hear the squeals of the dog in yes. the background and that is letting our listeners know that we've locked the dogs away and well we haven't locked the dogs away and isolated them this is that we fact... have a guest in our toilet <laughs> um... hi mom <laughs> so really it's significant detail that's, you know, and they both share that. When so you're exposition doing, is the telling detail. It can be. It can be other things. Like but the, what? what you like were one saying, year later, like your titles. Well, you were later. saying, for example, that like uh, film was different in a particular way or in that voiceover was a way of doing exposition. Mm -hmm. And um, I think clumsy voiceover is a way of doing exposition. Um, and... I think that um, just, you know, in the real time, in the scene that you would see on a screen or the scene that you would read, there's things that the editor chooses to show you and to demonstrate how a character's feeling and how they... So that's still the same. I mean, there's not... So scene is, is, the, is exposition. And, it, and, and everything in the scene is something the author or auteur thinks you need to know, right? I mean, on some important level... Everything is is the telling detail. There should be no... I don't think of exposition as the telling detail. I think it's the detail you tell, in, <laughs> uh, maybe in conversation. But I think, I think maybe that's... I mean, we're supposed to be talking about scene, okay, but we well, might dig okay. deeply into what does the word exposition actually All right, mean. So that we'll, we'll put a pin in that, and that will be a future episode. Is that what you're suggesting? Or are you saying that we just let it take over? I'm just saying maybe we should, like, you know, pull up Siri. Oh, okay. Siri, what is the definition of exposition? That's not me actually doing that. That's me saying that's what we should do. <laughs> um, what I want to say is that it has already occurred to Ellen and, and me when we were t discussing this um, camp that we are and I think I'm going to take this piece on I am going to talk about what isn't seen and of course when I say I'm going to talk about this and you know and I'm not an expert on it yet it's because I always go to my favorite books and I find all the answers there and there's something mm -hmm. that happens that's alive between... so wait are you saying Siri is not a key literary tool <laughs> you know anything that we have our hands on is a key literary tool but maybe not um I think what I'm tr trying to say is that um, is that it's important to know what is not seen when you're thinking about what is seen. But I mm -hmm. also do want us to get to dive into scene. But let me just say that the definition of exposition, powered by the Oxford Dictionaries on my phone, 
is there's man. there's more than one diction, Oxford Dictionary. It's it says powered by Oxford Dictionaries. So I think nothing in academia is singular anymore, right? You couldn't dictionary would be so passe. Like dictionaries, everything's it's everything's plural, right? Okay. Yes. <clears throat> Noun one: a comprehensive description and explanation of an idea or theory. Quote: the exposition and defense of his ethics. Synonyms, explanation, description, elucidation, explication, interpretation, illustration, account, commentary, etc. Two, a large public exhibition of art or trade goods. All right, that's not the one we wanted. Um, three, the action of making public exposure. This is sort of interesting, right? It comes from this the middle English. This is expository? This is exposition. Exposition. So anyway, obviously, our, the first one, oh, and it has a, a couple of sub-things here. The part of a movement, especially in a sonata form, in which the principal themes are first presented, mm -hmm. and the part of a play or work of fiction in which the background to the main conflict is introduced. Bum, Exposition. Bum, bum. What the author like thinks the reader needs to know. <laughs> so, that that, so by that definition, talking about what's happening in the moment is not exposition. Right. So oh. the telling detail is not exposition. Okay. That, that it really is about laying a foundation to understand what's happening at this point. So like there's a scene in your film where one character is asking the other sort of what happened. And she, I mean, it's well into there. And I think that's one of the keys for exposition, which is not our topic, mm. just to wait as long as possible before bringing it in, right? Um, let the reader really, really, or the viewer really, really know they want to know before mm -hmm. you tell them, right? Right. Um, but that might be a scene of exposition. I don't know which one you're talking where, about. Where, um, where Kristen asks Allegra sort of about what happened, and then she says, she says, you know, he about her photography, about about what happened with uh -huh. her photography, and, right. and how everybody got mad at her, and right. all of that. What when Pete's passed out, face down in the egg. Yeah. Remember? Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. no. <clears throat> Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, but it's well into there. We sort of know there's this. Right. Or even, I guess, there's even a, an embedded flashback in your film, mm -hmm. which I guess in, in some way is, has an expository role as well as being a vivid Absolutely. scene. So that's a great thing. Is, is well, now we know. We've got a full definition. So now when people are talking to us about exposition, <laughs> we're able to at least talk about that. Okay. Let's move on to scene besides the, the, pat, the pat answers. Well, I think it might just be really hard. I think the reason we might be talking about exposition, why we might be talking about all of these other things is because what a scene is in fiction can be very challenging. Maybe. I feel really excited about it. I feel like, I mean, having just sort of pumped out a bunch of and edited a bunch of scenes and excised a bunch of scenes. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think, you know, being on the 351st draft, yes. you know, there's a lot of clarity that comes with that. I actually feel like I finally kind of could hold the thing in my mind. And, mm -hmm. and I had also gotten it onto one track. It just was on two tracks for so long. And um, thank you, brilliant agent. Like it's on one track, and I think that that makes it so much more comprehensive. But anyway, and each so so okay. So we've we've established we both agree each scene there's some kind of change, some mm -hmm. revelation. So we're in a cer certain place in time, and something changes. And I yeah, and what's tough about that, right, is that if you're in a flashback in the middle of a scene, 
is the flashback a scene? Is the scene bifurcated? You know, I think people do get stuck in those those different ideas of what is, what is happening in a given right. scene. Is and that you three want to scenes do it with or care. two? You want to do it with care. I mean, one of the things that nonfiction, that narrative nonfiction, is really focused on and really good at is um, those mark, those kind of um, signposts that get you, that get your reader back and forth in time and all of that. Mm -hmm. But I think. Um, so I think yes, you have you can have you can layer scenes into each other. Sure. Right. But then I think within this, there's also other exciting things to talk about, like setting mm -hmm. and dialogue. Mm -hmm. A dialogue is action, right? I mean that that's how I teach dialogue. There's right. that wonderful Elizabeth Bowen quote, quote B O W E N Bowen mm -hmm. Bowen, um, where she says, uh, "Speech is what people do to each other." Yes, and um, <clears throat> you know one of them very popular things that people talk about in screenwriting is sort of you do the dialogue last mm -hmm. and so that you've written just about everything that you possibly can before you put in that piece and Pilara Alessandra who I always talk about and I think she's just really good at making concrete specific little actions to take um, you know one of the things she talks about is like thinking about your scene as a game and so People are using dialogue as a game, and that's that it again. It is goes back to that, you know. It's not exposition, right? It's something that they are doing to each other, but to an end, right? They're right? trying to. They're and, right. so, and so that's another thing. A character in a scene has a, a a set of expectations. First of all, going into the scene, which I think is something Matt Bird talks about really wonderfully, which is really important because so often you sort of you when you know when you're starting. Out, you're kind of like, oh, I'm, my character needs to be in the living room now to meet and have a fight with this, you know, friend. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, no, your character's coming into the living room, you know, looking for this envelope and, you know. Right. That so they have something that they're driving So for. there's what are their expectations coming in and then what do they want in the scene? Right. I think sometimes that can feel challenging because, um, you know, especially if you're writing something that isn't like a high impact mm -hmm. genre piece it can feel like well this person's just coming in to uh, pick up the baby from her mother who's been babysitting the baby and um, so the expectation might be something as small as just getting the kid and going home because she's tired and that's all she really wants to do is be with her kid after a mm -hmm. long day of work and then there's something that happens with the mother, right? And then, and then, but immediately, but then, as soon as that happens, right, the stakes go up. So as soon as you say, okay, she's just tired and she wants to go home, it's like, okay, well, she's not going to be able to just go home. It's not going to be that simple. She's going to get roped in or the mother has absolutely. needs or there's some kind of crisis and doesn't have to be giant, you know. I think that's sort of what I'm trying to get yeah. at. Yeah. Is, is that... And you can feel the energy. Yeah. And, and how quickly, you know, all of us, if you, if you know people who have relationships, you can see how the banal suddenly becomes... <laughs> just like the most important thing ever and well and it's like even if the relationship can be that stupid driver who's trying to merge lanes with you right like it doesn't have to be you know a right 50 year marriage or someone you're getting in an elevator with <laughs> <laughs> as happened yesterday yes. if you have a history of getting stuck in elevators you're gonna have one set of feelings and if they are in a hurry to get to their car they're gonna have a different set of Feelings. And objectives and all yes. of that. So, so all these elements come into play. 
And I think one of the things that also can happen is when people start to write scene from the place of being a wonderful reader of scene, mm -hmm. that you, you go into a scene and you're kind of pulled into a world and the character and their thoughts and the, what they're noticing and all that. And it's, you, don't, you don't pay attention as a reader entirely to the fact that every little thing matters. I mean, you do in the sense that you, you're picking up on it. You're picking up on the cues and clues and you're holding on to the things that you think are important. So you do kind of trust that or if if you trust that then you feel good you know in the hands of that author but there's some way in which scene can feel various and and big and sprawling that then when people write that way like the scene becomes various and big and sprawling and doesn't actually mean anything mm -hmm. i mean that's just early drafting or early writing or you know but there's there's this there's a little bit of a mistake that that people make i think in in, th in thinking that that experience of reading a scene that you have when you're first encountering it as a reader somehow parallels the process of creating it right <laughs> well yeah i mean i think that's the e the better a writer is the easier they make it look and the worse <laughs> off young writers are if they're reading really good work um but not i mean but we don't want to leave that there. no 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 but you know what i'm saying it's like the, yeah. and it's you it's it's surprising this notion that things should be easier than they are but with scene I love where you were going with sort of the setting aspect and looking at these different components because um, really, how do, you, how do you make some of those decisions about what's important and what does your reader already know? What do you want your reader to be able to create in conjunction, right? To co-write mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really interesting. I mean, I, I still have a very vivid memory of reading a book in high school. We were discussing it for class, and I referred to the green curtains. My teacher was like, there are curtains, but she never said they were green. <laughs> and I had such a vivid experience of that space that I had just decided the curtains were green. And so, you know, again, looking at that co-authoring opportunity between you and the reader... I don't think people work that hard, to be honest, when most people are writing about there's so many levels you could go to that I right, think I'm not you would work just hard. Die. But I'm saying that, that there is an assumption that these things matter. And so you will remember the curtains. Like if there's a big deal made of the curtains, then later when the curtains come up, you're like, yeah, those dusty curtains, where, you mm -hmm. know, and if, and if it's not Which done, are apparently not green. And if it's not done deftly or you put it down for like five months, then you'll be like, what what are they talking about with the curtains, right? So so you do have to you, you have to, the writer has to get the reader to pick up certain things and carry them through. Yeah. So I'm here's my big statement about scene. Okay. It depends where in the book it happens, and I think the rules of scene change depending where you are in the book. Oh, I love that. That is your topic for Sonoma County Writers Camp. Okay, great. Yeah. All right. <laughs> How are we going to remember that? Um, let's just steal this because um, it's it time, time to it's time to steal this so i am actually going to use this video from the new york times and um, i'm going to try to be clear about this so that uh, this can go into the notes as well um, and it is from uh, oh, today and it is not about the supreme court nomination um, it is uh, it is a video called before and after florence colon see the impact of the storm and it's a 53 second video and um, it shows locations 
before and and then during like with the flood the flooding which which happens in our area as well so we as angie pointed out when i showed it to her we've seen this a lot but to me it said something very profound about scene which is you know here's this bright sunny dry location and then here it is you know come like underwater Submerged. in a shocking and unexpected way and something about the the arc of scene is there also the the profound impact of setting mm -hmm. is there so um yeah, it just—it was kind of exciting to me. So, what are you stealing from that? So, I'm stealing from that um, one using environment and showing drastic change. And you know, we always talk about the the John Gardner barn exercise, but here's you know, here's a great way to look at. I mean, if you look at the video, you look at the mood that is created in these by the lighting, and the lighting is partly due to the storm, but the lighting is really different in each mm -hmm. in the dry, sunny pictures and in the flooded storm pictures. So, you know, the emotion that's created by the intense details and also by the juxtaposition. I mean, that's the other thing I want to steal is like really being willing to move from the before to the after in any scene. And here's how exposition plugs into this video because I didn't hear it, so I don't know what they talk about. The music. They don't talk but one of the most amazing things, living close to a river and having seen flooding at various levels is that when you actually have the context for the change. Mm -hmm. So right. we don't know how far away those things are from other bodies of water. So if it's, if it's four feet away from where the river and the river's just come up four feet, well, that's, you know, that has an impact, but right. it's not quite the same as when the water comes all the way over the banks, all the way out into multiple towns like it's doing here. And so knowing for me, like I watched that, Where's the river? Where's the closest body of water? So there's, there's, there's a that's... drama in removing context and there's a drama in juxtaposition in giving context. Yes. So, um, your steal this? Well, my steal this stems from my drum lesson today and a book called The Talent Code. And one of the things they talk about in The Talent Code, of course, is this idea of practice being focused. And I felt always very irritated because I was like, what do you mean by this? Um, and the idea really is that you sit with something that's difficult and uh, try to work it out for short periods of time rather than doing the same thing over and over. So a musical example would be if you were competent on scales and you were just always doing scales and that okay. was part of what you were doing to practice. Now that's not to say there's no value in that, but the real value and the real mastery comes when we watched Jean do this you break apart this is Jean Stark Jochman yes so you and we have like we have a little trailer we'll send but you break apart a larger piece and you work through the thing that is most difficult and that will actually get you further both in your skill level and in your ability to play a particular piece than all the scales in the world and today i am learning how to play i want to be sedated by the ramones on the drums <laughs> which is different than jeanne's body of work and what i found was that some things were were easy you know relatively easy i could do I could do a slow regular beat but there was one thing where i hit the kick drum in a uh, you know two eighth note side by side and on the second eighth note i hit the hi-hat well that made no sense to me like it made no sense in my brain so i could do these other pieces but going bum bum at the same time it was basically bumch but with two bum bumps right and it was like 
My brain was like, no, that's not how it's supposed to work. So that's the part you have to do. So there's a lot I have to do, but that, so I'll do the other pieces, which are practicing and getting those like bass rhythms down. But really I, my focused practice will then be on the part that's most difficult and not actually on the whole everything, mm. right? So focused practice as it relates to writing is about breaking down the different skills, some of which we've talked about today, about setting, about dialogue, about uh, significant detail, and really just focusing on one piece of your, your work until it becomes more intuitive. I love it. So go do something hard, listeners. And let me just say that if you want to join us for October's Sonoma County Writers Camp, all about scene and we have incredible authors coming incredible industry experts um, there is still room so go to sonomacountywriterscamp.com and basically it'll just tell you how to email ellen and say yo ellen let me have a space in there it's going to be amazing and with that have a great writing week <laughs>